0: Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host Ian Hurts and today is our usual DFS Thursday, Friday episode whenever you're listening to this, but this might as well be DFS Christmas because week 18 is here. Season long leagues are done except for some of you true savages and sickos out there and that means it's time to go win back any money that you might have lost or use the money that you want to go win even more money on DraftKings FanDuel. Whatever floats your boat, we will be sticking to DraftKings, specifically the main Sunday slate. Not worry about the two saturday games not worry about sunday night football as always i'm joined by none other than pff Zone andrew erickson the prop profit himself andrew how, how how does it go
1: happy new year first off <laughs> glad to see you in 2022 glad to see you're live and kicking still doing great it's a great year to be great Ooh. yeah I'm, I'm stealing i'm stealing some of your lines there <laughs> but no man i'm excited this is the last main slate that we have for the 2021 season So, and we already, you know, it's already kind of shaken up with some teams coming out and saying that they are going to rest guys and some teams saying like, oh, we're going to start guys, but there's really no reason for them to do so. So we're going to have to, you know, there's a little preseason DFS sprinkled in here. So it's fun.
0: Yeah, this week is uh, already shaping up as a mess, uh, as Peter Oversett would put it. Already been flipped on its head, uh, I think, several <laughs> times with some of these injuries, COVID, everything that's coming out and about. The good news, Andrew, is uh, we don't have to worry about an affordable antonio brown uh this week because he is no longer a member of the Tampa bay buccaneers so i guess we at least have that going yeah he's
1: uh he's three i'm just i thought it was funny that they just like he's like he's like 3k now they just like they they just took away all of his salary just like not that there could be a chance that he comes back or whatever it's like nope just demoting him down to 3k like automatically i don't like know how they price those guys like i mean like it seems like they usually just like slowly lower, like Ridley is just like slowly going down every single week. We know he's never coming back. And it's like, and then Brown, there's like, nope, dropping them all down to three.
0: Yeah, I. It's some of these pricing things remain a mystery to me. But either way, we will work with what we have as always. We're going to start off first by going through our cash game plays, talking head-to-heads 50-50s, just trying to get the highest floor possible, not so worried about ownership and things like that. And Andrew, There are some potential. We have multiple cash game QB options if things work out right. Trey Lance is sitting there at 5,500. It does seem like Jimmy G is going to push to play. Um, I was reading, I think it's Dr. Jeff Mueller. Is that right? There's someone on, yeah, okay. Dr. Jeff Mueller on Twitter, at JM. Thrive PT. a uh, Nice account to follow. But basically, someone was asking him, like, based on the amount of time that Jimmy G has been out, like, will the, his thumb ligament be able to reattach to itself? And he was saying no, but he still thinks they're going to start Jimmy G out there anyway. So... Fingers crossed, or, you know, thumbs crossed, whatever you want to say for Jimmy G, that he is going to take another week off. And then with Trey Lance at 5,500, I think he would be locked in there. We just got word before the show that Justin Fields is out with COVID. Maybe he finds a way to clear it in time. Doesn't seem likely. Then you also need to consider how he would perform, you know, what. Four days removed from dealing with COVID, which Andrew leaves us with Taysom Hill at 6,200. He's now at eight starts to his name, six QB1 performances. Last week, he was a QB13. Only true dub was that nine to nothing Buccaneers game. I think we got to go with Taysom at 6,200, assuming we don't have Lancer Fields available.
1: Yeah, no, I think that Taysom, I mean, he's the one that stuck out to me clear as day of guy that I kind of wanted to Go with and we didn't have trey lance available to us and i, and I mean argue you know you look at the matchup it, it's a really it's a much better matchup for taysom hill than it is for trey lance against the rams like yep. you could see a scenario where the rams defensive line overwhelms you know a rookie quarterback like that's definitely still in play i know he's a lot of he has more playmakers than taysom hill but we're playing taysom Hill because he is going to run you know he's rushed at least 11 times in all four of his starts this season and we look at the falcons defense they rank first in rushing attempts allowed to quarterbacks and third in rushing yards allowed. They haven't played Taysom Hill yet this year. Like, <laughs> like that's like the biggest thing. Like, you look at those, and like, oh well, it's all you know. They played Lamar Jackson. They played all these like rushing quarterbacks. So yeah, well, we saw Taysom Hill play Atlanta twice last year, both QB one finishes, and I just think we're looking at another QB one finish from Hill in this matchup too. So to see him like super low projected rostered in tournaments too. Um, I think it's really surprising. I thought that he was a, a very clear cash game play.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at their schedule because usually you're right. Like I remember for a while, the Bengals were giving up the most receptions to RBs. And it's like, yeah, that they played Najee Harris twice this year. And you just kind of see these things uh, go to fruition. The You know, in the AFC North, like, okay, you face Lamar Jackson twice. And then maybe you also had to face Josh Allen. But just looking at the Falcons' schedule, man, they played Jalen Hurts in week one, like Daniel Jones was there. You can make an argument that Cam and PJ Walker a little bit, but yeah that bad against Russian QBs and they really haven't even faced a true dual threat talent like Taysom Hill. I think he is probably going to be a rock solid cash game quarterback. Don't need to stack him with anyone. Don't need to game stack anyone in this. Probably atrocious matchup between the Saints and Falcons. Saints do need to keep on winning those. So we'll, we'll sprinkle in like what teams are playing, you know, for something and which teams aren't. But I do invite you all to listen to our Week 18 preview that Dwayne McFarlane and myself did. We go through every matchup, giving our usual fantasy nugget, but also breaking down what teams exactly have to play for. Obviously, we don't want to be trusting the fantasy players that might not even be out there for 60 full minutes. After that, Andrew, moving on to running back. Really, really hard to get away from Jonathan Taylor this week. He's only 266 yards away from 2,000. The Colts need to win this. They're playing a Jacksonville team whose fans have literally resorted to wearing clown masks and outfits to this game. You know, rule of thumb of mine over the years, if the entire fan base is going to wear clown outfits to a game, you should probably start the best player on the other team. So Jonathan Taylor (laughs) at 9,300. I do think there's enough value elsewhere to get up to him. After that, if James Conner's out again, I think we need to lock in uh, Chase Edmonds at just 5,800. If not, there are some other options. We got Devin Singletary, I guess Sony Michelle, Antonio Gibson, Deontay Foreman, somewhat viable. So Andrew, assuming we are locking in Jonathan Taylor, where do you want to look after that?
1: Well, I do like David Montgomery a lot as well. I know he's a little bit more expensive than some of the other guys you mentioned there, so it does take a little bit of finagling when it comes to salary. But I mean, his role over the last. 5 weeks is basically just been he's has 24 touches per game, he's second in expected fantasy points per game. And I mean you look at the Minnesota Vikings run defense, 6 most fantasy points allowed per game to running backs over the last 4 weeks. You know, if they don't have fields, then all they do is just give the ball to David Montgomery. Like that like that's literally the entire offense, especially if it's Andy Dalton. And you know, that's when we see David Montgomery also have spikes in targets is when you have the statue S quarterbacks Nick Foles and Dalton under center. And I just like I'm so, I always harp on trying to play running backs in cash that have three down skill sets so that, you know, things like, you know, last week with Ronald Jones, if they fell behind, like, is he going to catch Pat? Like, we weren't sure. Like, he obviously got hurt, which is why he didn't, he busted. But, you know, he was trending kind of in a poor direction anyway with the Buccaneers trailing, surprisingly against the Jets. Like, sometimes that just happens. And, and guys and teams fall behind in games that they're in And then you have these running backs that are the early down runners that don't see the pass game work and then they're dead. Whereas Montgomery, it doesn't matter how this game goes, win, lose, whatever. Like, he's going to find a way to get fantasy points because he's touching the ball 24 times per game. So I feel really good about starting David Montgomery um, if I can get him in there at 6,800. I know he's a little bit more pricey. But the other guys I mentioned are, I think, that are cash game viable as well. So Samaj P. Ryan is at 53 and Keyshawn Vaughn is at 53. So Ronald Jones is in a walking boot. And Bruce Arian said that he's going to try to run later this week. So, oh, great. I mean, when I, so when I hear that, it kind of indicates to me that he's probably not going to play. I don't, again, we don't have any confirmation yet, but Vaughn it was a full... Uh, participant in practice i would expect him to get the majority of touches over Le'Veon bell even if Le'Veon bell gets some work and i just don't think it's gonna really matter vaughn has a three-out skill set vaughn has graded really well for pff's metrics and pass blocking grade the last two seasons so i think that he has confidence to put them out there on third down so i think that vaughn makes a ton of sense and you know we saw him rip off a huge touchdown run against this same carolina panthers defense just two weeks ago so he clearly has the confidence that he can run against this team so that he makes sense and then p ryan Like, is less upside, I think, involved with him because we just don't know who the Bengals are going to have on offense alongside him. He should get the start, but if he's, like, the starter now, does that mean he doesn't play as much? So there's a little more question marks about P. Ryan, just like the Bengals' offense in general. So I'd probably prefer Vaughn, but if you need somebody, I think P. Ryan makes a lot of sense. You know, he had double-digit touches in Week 5 when Joe Mixon was sidelined because of an ankle injury, and he's involved as a pass catcher as well.
0: I would just know we're not saving as much money on these running backs as we might otherwise. Both Piron and Vaughn only at 5300 Generally, if you can find the extra $700 to get up to Devin Singletary, and again, especially Chase Edmonds if James Conner is out, I would recommend doing so. To your point, Andrew, like, yeah, Piran should be the starter if Mixon's out, but like I know in Green Bay, we're probably expecting A.J. Dillon to kind of get that starter treatment and not really be playing out there as well, uh, you know, and having Patrick Taylor um, instead. So it's just kind of a question mark. Like, we don't know. Know what the Bengals are gonna do with that. We don't know what the Buccaneers are gonna do with that. I would rather not take those chances in cash games. But real quick on Singletary, we just put some context into what he's been able to do over the past month and a half. Snap rate of 68% or higher in five of his last six games, touch counts of 16, 10, 10, 23, 17, and 23. Set up rather brilliantly against the Jets. League worst defense and fantasy points per game allowed to running backs. Massive home favorite. There's really not a, a hole you can poke in the depth. Singletary arguments. So if you want to go two RBs, Jonathan Taylor and Singletary be my picks if James Conner does manage to return to action. Now, Andrew, are we going to try to squeeze Taylor and Cup? Because Cup does have similar milestones. The Rams do want to, you know, go out there and play. And he obviously, you know, it's, I don't think the matchup really matters for Cooper Cup at this point. The guy's on pace to, go, not on pace, but <laughs> the guy's a realistic chance of getting 2,000 receiving yards. So I'm not too worried about that. It just does make things tight because as much like, we have some value throughout the slate, but I don't really see anyone that far below $4,000 at wide receiver that I'm feeling super great about. We do have Ray Ray Fox McCloud. You know, I'm definitely biased to him. Star Fox <laughs> is one of my favorite games uh, growing up, but in all seriousness, no Deontay Johnson. I do think Ray Ray probably is more likely to get a massive boost in targets than Claypool. I could see Claypool's role not really changing and Ray Ray getting all those, again, just, you know, low ADOT kind of screen type passes. They always throw to Deontay. So we have him there at 3,800. It would help if Emmanuel Sanders is out again. Then we could fire up Gabriel Davis at 4,900. Maybe Braxton Berrios at 4,900. Just remember last week, we had the perfect storm of Michael Carter getting concussed early. Crowder wasn't in there and Elijah Moore wasn't in there. It does seem like those latter two receivers have a chance of playing. And oh, yeah, Berrios himself is now hurt with a quad injury. So I guess, Andrew, we could go Cup, Ray Ray, Gabriel Davis pay down at tight end and defense as well. And it is possible. I just don't feel great about it. What are your overall thoughts on wide receivers and cash?
1: No, I mean, if, if we can get Cup, I mean, they're both in, you know, great spots. I mean, you have Jonathan Taylor playing Jaguars. You know, he rushed for over 250 yards the last time he played them last year. So, I mean, the guy, we've seen this before with Derek Henry, where he just goes off in... I mean, look, if, if he rushes for 100 yards and Jacksonville comes out in the second half and they're just like, yeah, well, like, we want the season to, like, be over. You know, everyone's wearing clown suits in, in the stands. Like, that's pretty demoralizing, <laughs> if, if you ask me. So, they may just give up and be like, whatever. Just let him rip off a bunch <laughs> of media touchdowns. So, I mean, I don't want to not play Jonathan Taylor against the Jacksonville. And I'm willing to punt receiver. Like, that's the thing. Like, I don't feel bad about paying down at receiver because the position is so vol- – like, you can pay up for a receiver and then just get – and get nothing. Like, just possible because of the variance of the position, except when it comes to Cooper Cup. Like, he has shown this year that he his role is just so much different than every other receiver's that he doesn't bust. Like, he hasn't busted once this year, which is yeah. really rare to find. Even in those great Devontae Adams years, Michael Thomas years, like, there was, like, one game where they did not fire, where Cooper Cup is literally fired every single week. And especially coming off a game where he only saw a 19% target share, which is significantly lower than his season-long average. So those things tend to regress positively so i assume it's gonna be back up to 30 plus percent and that means he's gonna ball out it's also a good matchup you know we're not afraid of the defense he's going up against so i think that if we can make it work and i mean mcleod like you said dude we fox mcleod he's he's, he's fired up for us again and and i know that we can get hesitant with some of these fringy receivers but if you just look at like some of the game line you know i'm game log scouting now but i mean he has at least eight targets in three of his last four games with johnson playing he had 12 targets in in uh, back in week three when or excuse me in week 12 when chase claypool sat out so this is a player we've already seen command a high amount of targets and like you alluded to i mean his skill set 6.1 average depth of target which is the lowest of any receiver on the steelers like that aligns with big Ben. like i don't want to play james washington you don't want to play the deep threat attached to ben roethlisberger you want to play the guy that's operating close to the line of scrimmage which is Raven mcleod who we have seen Play and see targets in this offense. You know, Big Ben has thrown him the ball on multiple occasions. So usually, I'm like pretty like afraid to play these fringier guys. Like I wasn't like all in on Braxton Barrios last week, even though it kind of looked like he would play the part. I feel a lot more confident about Raymond McLeod. So I think that using him can get us up to Cooper Cobb.
0: I'm just so as I'm kind of making my lineup show here. If we go Taysom, Jonathan Taylor, let's say we get Lucky Connors out, we can go Chase Edmonds. Then you can go Ray Ray. Let's say we get Gabriel Davis. Spoiler alert, cheap tight end of the week is John Bates at 3,000. Now that Ricky Seals-Jones has really become an afterthought in that offense. I do like the Cleveland defense at 2,600. Like what it comes down to kind of with that general show, Andrew, is like, do we want to pay all the way up for Cooper Cup and then go with Ray Ray and then have to f- figure out someone at 4,700 or less in the flex and spoiler, the options are not great. Or do we fade Cooper Cup, go down to someone like a Ross St. Brown? And then we still have like $7,600 for the flex so we can get someone like Najee Harris. So I think that's kind of like the 2v2 we're looking at if a couple things break our way. Do we want to go cup and 4,700 or under? probably a close to a scrub or do we want to take two guys that we don't feel quite as good about as cup, but maybe the sum of that is going to be greater than cup and the other guys. So things we'll continue to look at throughout the week. Uh, and, you know, we say this now and maybe an hour after we're done recording, there'll be some injury that opens up an entire new wavelength. So um, other wide receivers, that I do think are viable depending on how you're going to build things up. Uh, Really just, I guess the other one I didn't mention was Christian Kirk at 6K. He has really emerged as the Cardinals' number one receiver in the absence of DeAndre Hopkins. Three games without Nuke. Zach Ertz, actually number one with 33 targets. Then Kirk at 29 big drop off Antoine Wesley and AJ Green tied at 16 Chase Edmonds at 15 nobody else has more than even three targets so yeah Connor being out has influenced that but they really are concentrating it around these guys and against the Seahawks man they do a great job of limiting the deep ball they really have all year but it comes at a cost this is why they have given up the most receptions for running backs and the third most or excuse me one of five defenses to allow at least 130 receptions to slot receivers so that is Kirk right now and at just 6k he does seem a bit too cheap so so if you decide not to go a cup and you want to get up to some of these, you know, more 6K type receivers, I do think guys like Amon Ross, St. Brown and Christian Kirk can make a lot of sense. And the other, your, yeah, in your, Yeah.
1: In your 2v2 predicament, I was thinking, so you mentioned Brown's defense. So you could go down to Dolph. Look, Dolphins defense is a 2,400. They're playing the Patriots at home. Like I can Come. tell you so many times how many times the Patriots have gone to Miami and just totally sucked. Because it just happens, because I don't know, they were talking about it earlier this week about how Belichick is heating up the practice facility because it's like a shock to their body when they go from, again, it's freezing here in the Boston area, uh, to 80-degree weather in Miami. Like, it's a shock on their body. So, if you pay down from the Browns, again, they're in a smash spot against, you know, Brandon Allen potentially, so I, I get why you want to play the Browns. But, I mean, look, it's defense. Like, they can literally do nothing. And if you can get Miami, then you can play, you can get... Gabriel Davis at $4,900, DeMonte Parker at 4900 I think it's like another guy um, that works for 4900 as well. Okay. Yeah, Bateman. So that could be the way you can finagle it to get that extra 200 Because I agree, like there's not a lot, you know, in that f- mid-4K range of, of really anyone you really want to play.
0: I'm happy we talked this out, Andrew, because I like literally all three of those receivers better than anyone else we're going to find at 4,700 or lower. It seems like that's literally the line this week, where it's like (laughs) I, I really like Cyril Grayson, like Laquan Trebball. It gets gross so fast underneath that price point that I do think going down to Miami makes a lot of sense there. I mean, we talk about this with our cheap defenses. Like ideally, with our defense, we want to be facing a bad offense. We want to have a great defense, and we want them to be home. Miami. I think they probably they're pretty close to great man only the buccaneers have a higher havoc rate this year which is just a stat that measures things like picks, pass breakups, pressures, forced fumbles per play. So they have the sort of uh you know, they play the way they blitz so much like they lend themselves nicely to the way that we give fancy points for defense. Okay, the Patriots offense, we just saw them put up 50 points. They're not bad by any stretch of the imagination. With that said, I think it would make sense if Mac Jones, we've seen him have a floor throughout this year, and they are home, and to your point, it does seem like New England, you know, once every year or two, they go down to Miami and provide us with a stinker. So, love that call. Love getting down to Miami at 2400 in cash. And at tight end, Andrew, again, like, we are pinching pennies at this point. I do understand we have Cole Komet at 3400 and you can, of course, find some viable guys. In the four or five K range as well. John Bates is probably our cheap tight end of the week, though.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, if Tyler Croft wasn't coming off the COVID list, like maybe I would feel better out of it. Just like all the guys coming off COVID, you don't know like what their roles are going to be. Like we've had issues with conditioning and, you know, we need this guy running routes. And if he's over yakking on the sideline because he can't breathe, like that's not going to get it done. So yes, John Bates looks like the guy. I know I talked about him a little bit last week and ultimately came through, but it was because, you know, Ricky Seals Jones did get hurt. So Oh, he is hurt. Okay. Yeah, he, he, uh, he ended up getting hurt. So I, I do think that, you know, we saw last week Bates ran around on 84% of the football team's dropbacks. I mean, this is the same role that we, Logan Thomas had, that Ricky Seals Jones had when he was like the only show in town. And it's just elite tight end usage. You look at the matchup against the Giants. I mean, the Giants are just a bad defense in general. They are ready to pack it in. I don't care, you know, the way that Joe Judge is kind of running things around there. It seems like, you know, it's really weird that the football team is like a touchdown favorite against another team. Like, the football team is not good. It just tells you how bad the New York Giants are. But they've allowed the most red zone touches and targets to tight ends this season. So John Bates is the only show in town. Uh, yeah, he should catch a touchdown and I like him in this matchup.
0: rookie Seals-Jones was knocked out of that game with a concussion. Started off the week with a DNP. Usually with the concussions. If you, I mean... We'll, see, we'll check and see what happens. If he doesn't practice Thursday, though, that's, he's as good as out. That's usually how it works when they're in the concussion protocol. Alright, we talked a little bit about Miami on defense already. Just to quickly summarize, feeling like Taysom Hill, cast game quarterback of the week. We are paying up for Jonathan Taylor all the way at 9,300 on DraftKings. Also prefer Chase Edmonds at 5,800, assuming James Conner is out. If not, Devin Singletary and Dave Montgomery are more than viable guys you can pay up for as well. Wide receiver, we'd like to get up to Cooper cup man spending what's that? 19 K on two players, but they are two pretty great ones. You know, I would say the fantasy no, number one, number two MVPs of the year, and we're getting up to him by paying down the Ray, Ray McLeod at 3,800 Gabriel Davis at 4,900, and then probably one of Devonte Parker, Rashad Bateman and who was the other? Yeah. And Gabriel Davis around that range. So a couple wide receivers at of 4,900, you can fill this out with John Bates at 3 K and the dolphins at 2,400. Love it. Got to love it. Tournaments. Now we are trying to win a million dollars. We're trying to beat hundreds of thousands of other entries. We got to be a little bit contrarian here, Andrew. What are some of your quarterback stacks, passing attacks that you really want to look at more in tournaments this week? Yeah,
1: I mean, I still like going back to Tom Brady with with double stacks because I know exactly where the ball is going to go. It's going to go to Mike Evans and it's going to go to Rob Gronkowski. Whenever mm-hmm. it's condensed to those two to two players, whether it's been, you know, whichever two combination it's been all season, like that's always worked out. And I know that the Buccaneers don't have a lot to play for like on paper, but we've seen them in this situation before. You know, Arians says they're playing to win. He said this last year when they played Atlanta and Brady threw for 399 yards and four touchdowns. So again, I know that the matchup is not great. You know, Carolina held Brady to under 15 fantasy points the last time he played him just a couple weeks ago. But I'm still going to go after the guy who has been basically a top-five fantasy quarterback all season long. And, you know, Stephon Gilmore is banged up for the Carolina Panthers, so he's a a big loss for them. And I just think that when you're building a tournament lineup, you need to know, okay, Brady hits who's going to hit with him? You know exactly who to stack him with. You're not asking questions about, okay, my quarterback hit, but I picked the wrong guy. So ergo, I don't win. It's like, no, you know exactly. You can can pick three of your slots and just check, 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 just makes less things you have to get right, which is really the kind of the mindset we have to be in when we're making these tournament lineups. Like what's the least amount of things that need to happen for me to end up on top. And I think that by going with the Buccaneers stack, you take away some of your roster spots in a really good spot. So I think that Brady makes a ton of sense here.
0: Love that call. And yeah, I mean, with Gronk and Evans, usually we got to worry about Goblin AB working their way in there as well. Don't have that concern this week. Um, if you want to really just pay up with the position, I think both Josh Allen and Kylo Murray are in good enough spots to warrant some exposure. I know it didn't work out for Josh last week with that weather, so keep an eye on that. With that said, pairing him up with Diggs against the Jets defense that they absolutely eviscerated the last time they faced off can make a lot of sense. And again, we'll either have Gabriel Davis there without Emmanuel Sanders or go back to to the guy that broke everyone's hearts in your fantasy, you know, championship in week 17, Dawson Knox, who we know always has two touchdown upside, depending on the week. And I would also note, you know, we talked about those Cardinals splits. This was kind of an issue earlier in the year where we had like five or six Cardinals all within five targets of each other. But now with Ertz and Christian Kirk really starting to build that lead over Wesley and Green. It's not quite the same as Brady and Evans and Gronk. I mean, we saw Wesley score multiple times last week. A.J. Green is, you know, there as well. But I do think going with Kyler, Kirk, and Ertz gives you the best chance of getting the majority of the passing attack in a Cardinals team that, again, wants to keep on rolling. Would also note, yeah, you have Taysom Hill down here as well, Andrew. Quarterback ownership in general is just something that we never see get too high. So, you know, for a lot of these guys, like the chalky running backs, okay, maybe we want to fade them in tournaments more times than not. But even your chalkiest quarterbacks, you're seldom going to see them get more than 10 to 15% of the ownership. Moving on to some of the running backs. Look. Everyone and their mother. Like, if your mom is playing, is uh, if your mom is literally putting in a DFS lineup this week, I'm sure she is paying up for Jonathan Taylor and for good reason. But there is a version of the simulation where he busts, or I don't know, man. At least doesn't like score freaking the 20 points that he's gonna need to score in order to meet that value. We do have Alvin Kamara, Nick Chubb, potentially without De'arnest Johnson and Kareem Hunt. I know they already tapped the brakes on him last week in a more must-win game than they had. Now, so that's why he's. Not Not a cash game play, but Kamara, Chubb, Dalvin Cook, even Najee Harris. Like, we know all these guys have the potential to get 20 to 25 touches, and they can do a lot with that because they're pretty damn good. No, they're not Jonathan Taylor. But again, in tournaments, if Jonathan Taylor does bust, you don't have him, you have Kamara. That's a good way to swing your lineup. So, again, we talk about this every week. Just looking at, like, the easiest roster construction or just the roster construction that everyone's going to want to have, which this week is fitting in Jonathan Taylor. Try to do something a little bit different from that. Easy way is just to still pay up a running back, but just get some of those different guys. Uh, we talked in the cash game spot about Samaje Piran and Keyshawn Vaughn a little bit, Andrew. We'll see how their projected ownership uh, shakes out, but I do think I like them a little bit more as a uh, tournament plays just because we're not exactly positive how those backfields are going to go. After that, man, I do think there are a lot of mid-range run running backs we could take a long gander at one of which is a guy former first round talent that just keeps on balling out Rashad Penny man and this kind of goes back to the same point about those higher pressure running backs like you better have a pretty damn good reason to fade anybody that could see 20 plus touches during any given week and that's Rashad Penny right now
1: yeah, he's in. It's basically since he's took over the starting job in, in week 14. So first in PFF rushing grade, 30 yards after contact per attempt, and first in fantasy points scored above expectations. So again, you're thinking, all right, he's going to come down eventually at some point, but I'm not going to bet on that being against the Arizona Cardinals, who rank last in explosive run rate this season. So look, Penny's playing for his job right now. Like He's trying to get a contract from either the Seahawks or another team because they didn't pick up his option. So he has all the incentive in the world to ball out. Um, you know, if you the Seahawks playing in potentially Russell Wilson's last game. So, yeah, I think that we are going to see some fireworks from a Seattle team that wants to play spoiler uh, against the Arizona Cardinals a little bit. So I-, I do think that this is a good spot. You know, you mentioned Kyler. Um, you know, I know that he's a very popular quarterback. Like, there's a lot of bring-back options you can use on the Seattle side, whether it is a lock and Metcalf. Uh, but Penny also makes a ton of sense, especially because he's still, like – He's just not projected to be as rostered as some of those other running backs that we mentioned and i know his pass game usage isn't necessarily great but it was encouraging when we saw last week he did lead the team in routes and targets um, over dj dallas so hopefully that is a sign for things to come for him to get a little bit more work in the passing game if you know the seahawks are trailing in some form that he's definitely not just a a total zero the other guy like elijah mitchell so yeah. you're talking about running backs that have a path to you know thirty fantasy points. Well, how do you do that? Oh, you need to touch the ball twenty times. Oh, well, let me introduce you to Elijah Mitchell, who just only touches the ball twenty plus times every <laughs> single game um because Kyle Shanahan just freaking loves the dude. I know that he's on the injury report this week. I mean, but if he's playing, it's twenty-seven carries, twenty-seven carries, twenty-two carries, twenty-one carries. Like this, this dude just gets fed every single time that he's on the field, and he's the same price as Devin Singletary. So this is where you find your leverage. Again, if you are, especially because they both play in the late window of games. So even in cash, like let's say, you know, you play your cash team, things don't work out, you're down, you need to catch the field. Don't play Devin Singletary or don't keep Devin Singletary in your lineup against the Jets because everyone else is going to have him already and you're not going to, be able to catch him. Whereas if you swap off to Elijah Mitchell at 6K, who's going to be, you know, sub 5%, he could easily go off against the Rams. Like I get it's a bad matchup, but he's still seeing, he's actually averaging more touches per game than Singletary. Like, Singletary, we like because of his role within the regards of the running backs on Buffalo. But that role is still limited because of how much Josh Allen also runs. Like, I was just kind of surprised Singletary is averaging less than 15 touches per game. It's only good because it's just so much more than every other Bills running back. But yeah. I mean, Mitchell, Mitchell is averaging over 22 touches per game. So you can really see a path where Mitchell could easily outscore Singletary. But, you know, it's just so matchup driven with roster ship projections that you know, Mitchell's going to fly under the radar.
0: And Sonny Michelle is right there at 6K as well. And on our old roster ship projections, which you can find on pff.com slash DFS slash ownership, Michelle and Singletary, you know, both in the double digit ownership range. Elijah Mitchell coming in at a pretty freaking cool 5.1%. 5.1%. Love that call. And just another, you know, not quite the same sort of uh, leverage. I don't think he has the same ceiling as Mitchell, but Deontay Foreman at a 5,700, I think it's kind of shaping up. as like, you know, a lower middle-class man's version of Jonathan Taylor here. He's not playing the Jaguars, but he's playing the Texans. He is, you know, in a situation where the Titans are, you know, touchdown-plus favorites. They want to win this game. And you look at when they have been able to play with the lead, he is someone that's seeing 20-plus touches during any given week as well. And right now, we have the projected chalkiest running back of the week as Antonio Gibson at 5,800. I'm pretty sure this is implying that James Conner will play. So, And Gibson, I think, would become more tournament viable if Conner is out. And that would lead to Chase Edmonds being, I think, the highest on running back on the slate. Any other running back notes here? I think that about covers it. Moving on to wide receiver. Couple cheaper options I do like. Cyril Grayson at 4400. I agree, Andrew. Brady, Gronk, Evans is the move, but if you just want to, you know, find a cheaper receiver to fill things out, I do think it's uh, reasonable enough to go with Grayson. We've seen him make multiple big plays over the past few weeks. Rashad Perryman came back and maybe that was because of COVID that he wasn't out there, but now with AB out of the picture, man, I think Grayson's probably the next best bet behind Evans, behind Gronk to put together a big performance. And we got Baker out of the picture. What about Donovan Peoples-Jones at 4,300 going up against some backup Cincinnati players in all likelihood we know he always got he's always got that one big play you know hit, hit or quitter uh, mentality out there we've seen him do it a couple times this year only three touchdowns on the year but again I think that has been more Baker and Deuce than anything Final two guys I like a little more wide receiver in tournament land. Jalen Waddle at 6,300. You know, yeah, Bill Belichick he's gonna to try to take away number one option. We know that Waddle did convert you know four or five targets for 60 yards and a score back in week one. So that must have been you know the first time ever that didn't work out for Belichick and company. But anyway, with Waddle, it's more of a leverage play on Amon Ross St. Brown, who's only 600, $500 more should be soaking up most of that ownership in the 6K range. And once you kind of look at these guys, man, you just see. Uh, Even going up in the pricing scale, there's a lot more holes in the wide receivers uh, than we're used to. T. Higgins, who knows how much he's going to play. Deontay Johnson's already out. Quarterback questions around. So Jalen Waddle, someone that normally, even if we would rank him as more of like, you know, top 15, top 16 wide receiver, I think with so much uncertainty around there, he probably would be in the top 12 season long wise. And finally... If Antonio Gibson is going to be this chalky, why not look at the only other guy worth a damn in this offense, and that is Terry McLaurin at 6,200. He's look, he has not boomed in a while, but he really is the ultimate tournament wide receiver. We've seen four top ten finishes this year, and he owns this Giants defense. Four career matchups, he's caught at least seven passes in each and every one. Last two times, he's gone for over 100 yards and scored a touchdown as well. I do think he is James Bradbury's kryptonite, being you know this quick footed route running technician and. And as we know, he can also go up and make contested catches with the best of them because Terry McLaurin is a baller and he deserves better than the freaking quarterbacks he's seen so far in Washington. Andrew, we got, you know, a lot of guys throughout this slate. You also like a couple in that 6K range. Notably, Tyler Lockett didn't catch three three touchdowns last week, but it was good to see, even if it was against the Lions, Russ get back to cooking a little bit.
1: Yeah, no. Russell Wilson, I think, was a guy we could have mentioned too in, in GPP quarterbacks because again, it, it is his last game in Seattle. We saw him play well last week, and it's another you know good matchup against Arizona Cardinals. So I, I think that Russell Wilson is interesting. And you got to stack with one guy. It's it's usually it's always one of these Seahawks receivers that blows up. It's never both of them. It's always ones you got to pick. And usually it's the one that doesn't blow up the week before. You know, I don't think Metcalf's going to catch three touchdowns again. You know, hold my breath. Maybe he will. But look, if you look at you know. And something I, I talked about with Metcalf one of my articles I wrote last week was that, you know, his target share and air yard share in week 17, or excuse me, week 16 was like an outlier performance. Like he had like a really low target share, didn't see a lot of air yards. And when you have, you know, elite players like Metcalf, like have those performances, it's really just, you know, it's variance. Like it's just a part of being the receiver position and those things you want to buy. Like there's nothing to pinpoint about his performance last week. Despite the fact that it was just bad, that you could project, okay, like this should be a bounce back spot as things always tend to regress to the mean. I and mean, we look at Lockett over the past two weeks, like he's had back to back really bad performances, like under 10 targets, which is really unlike him, you know, coming off the COVID list. So I think that Lockett makes a ton of sense to kind of regress back to normal in a really good matchup. Cardinals giving up the most fantasy points to wide receivers over the last four weeks. So I'm going to push my chips in on Tyler Lockett this week over D.K. Metcalf. We'll see how things play out. I mean, basically, whoever gets the first target, like, that's how you know it's (laughs) going to blow up. So uh, Lockett did also go over 100 yards the last time he played Arizona Cardinals. And I think that he's had, I think that he's had a couple good games against Arizona in his career. I think, you know, 200 yards, I think, last year on Sunday Night Football. So uh, I think that Lockett is in a good spot here. And also, something's interesting, you know, there's a lot of contract incentive talk on on twitter these days as we're trying to figure out like who's going to get jammed targets so interesting i looked at lockett's contract so he actually has a 1.1.05 million based escalator for scoring eight touchdowns he has six so far this season so Uh take that with what you want i'm just saying if he scores two touchdowns he's going to get a million dollars maybe you can get a million dollars too if, if tyler lockett scores two touchdowns so yeah i think lockett's in a good spot
0: Dude, he kind of owns this Cardinals defense, too. I think in past years, a little bit of that was, uh, you know, seeing Patrick Peterson usually taking Metcalf and not shutting Metcalf down, but I think Russ has just kind of been giving some of these top corners a little bit too much respect over the years, but yeah, only got to go back to week seven, 2020 Tyler Lockett, 15 catches 200 yards and three scores against this very defense follow that up, man, nine catches 67 yards and a score and to your point did go over 100 yards his last meeting against them as well, so Lockett, McLaurin, look, I don't think you know, wide receiver versus cornerback or specific defense stats are the stickiest things in the world, but you know I would rather the guy that I'm looking to play have had success against the defense than just not. So not saying this is the only reason to play those guys, but it can be a piece of the puzzle. Uh, you also you also bring up Darnell Mooney, who I think is certainly in play against, again, an atrocious Viking secondary, and they will get to be playing in Minnesota. So don't have to worry about the, you know, windy, weathery winter conditions in Chicago. And finally, Andrew, you do have some thoughts on Galaxy branding backup Bengals and Packers wide receivers. Is this it on tape week? Are we doing it? Well, I
1: mean, like, Auden Tate is, like, on IR or something. I'm trying to figure out if he's even going to (laughs) play. Like, I don't know. He's off
0: off the COVID list. I think he might still be on actual IR, though.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, look, if Auden Tate is playing, I mean, look, Ian, we saw Duke Johnson go off this year, Cordell Patterson. It would only make sense that Auden Tate would have a Week 18 big blow-up game. So, I'm playing him if he's active. Like, I'm just saying that right now, people. I'm playing Auden Tate. If it's not Auden Tate, though, I do think that I would – you know, I was trying to look at these depth charts to kind of see – who maybe could kind of pop out of the, without the Packers and the Bengals. So Mike Thomas looks like the guy would probably gravitate towards for the Bengals. You know, he was Brandon Allen's most targeted receiver during the preseason. And he actually did kind of start for the Bengals a little bit last year before they kind of like put T Higgins into a full-time role so Mike Thomas again he still has more touchdowns than New Orleans Saints Michael Thomas dating (laughs) back to 2019 so uh and his name is Mike Thomas so he's probably good at football and the other guy for Green Bay is Juwan Winfrey so really we have a one I mean we have a one game sample size of basically it was during that COVID game when the Cardinals played the Packers and you know people Equinemius St. Brown, maybe. Will it be Amari Rodgers? It was actually Juwan Winfrey that was the most productive receiver for the Green Bay Packers. So he was like a day three pick a couple years ago. Got drafted by the Broncos. Is now with the Green Bay Packers. So that's who I would gravitate towards. They're both 3K. Again, you know, this is these are dart throw plays, but they are really cheap. And if the starters sit, then players are going to see targets in these offenses. Now, it's not necessarily super high quality, but they catch a touchdown at 3K, and you can open up a lot of salary to do things in your lineups.
0: Juwan Winfrey. I'm look, pulled up on Google this like 2019 Hall of Fame game preview I was writing and I had like an entire section on Jawan Winfrey. I don't think he did too much with it but certainly a doable pro- uh, prospect. So, like those calls and yeah, it does look like Auden Tate still dealing with that calf injury. The world's going to have to probably wait another season until he truly takes over, unfortunately. Looking at some of these tight ends, Zach 5,300, all the sense in the world mentioned how he is essentially now the Cardinals number one receiver without Hopkins in there. Just hasn't been scoring the touchdowns recently as we know though over the years Seattle not exactly the world's best defense against tight ends and hey if first is going to give us five plus catches a week if he doesn't score a touchdown it's not like he's exactly killing your lineup I also think that you know on the other side of the ball against a defense that okay the Cardinals have actually turned down their turned around their ability against tight ends but Gerald Everett as we've seen really during the second half of the year is someone that gives us a little more upside than their usual tight end and to see him still priced below 4k man is just surprising to me, I thought that at this point he probably would earn something closer to that Tyler Conklin, the uh, Pat Fryer moose of the world, but nope, he is still awfully affordable. So, Gerald Everett, and Zach Ertz, I think make a lot of sense. And I mentioned before with that Josh Allen stack, don't be afraid to go back to well with Dawson Knox and particularly Stefan Diggs. Now, Andrew, we're going down the baits and cash. I don't think there's anyone we really want to mess with as much in GPP that low. Probably want to be paying up a little bit more here.
1: Yeah, that's something i have kind of like just our main takeaways just from doing this show every week is that like playing a low-priced tight end, it's really hard to win tournaments that way because they just yeah. don't have any upside, especially Komet, who just doesn't get – Komet seemingly the guy we play half the time, and the reason he's always cheap is because he doesn't catch any touchdowns. So you just – there's just no path to a ceiling with those players. Like, yes, they open up things for salary, but you just – it's really hard to win tournaments. So, yeah, I think that you need to – it's basically like trying to hit a home run because if you pay up for a tight end, sometimes like a Dawson Knox last week, like when he duds out, like that kills your lineup. Like that really sucks when he gets zero points at 5,500 or whatever his price is, because that's so much value. Like these tight ends price stuff like this are bad. They're all bad values. Like they're not value plays, but when a tournament, you're not really focused so much on value. You're focused on, I need to score the most points. And you want the, you want to incorporate your tight ends into stacks. So that's why earth makes so much sense. Uh, with Kyler Murray so someone I'm looking at so Pat Fryermuth, I'm not sure maybe he'll get like lost in the shuffle a little bit with his Deontay news I know that we obviously talked about Claypool we talked about Ray Ray so I'm not sure if people kind of just forget to oh no they're probably going to use like more tight ends like they probably will so and you look at the matchup against the Ravens like they have faced the most tight end targets this season And and Fryermuth has that touchdown equity like we've seen Big Ben target him in the end zone I mean if you look at him like, he's been more one of the more touchdown-dependent tight ends alongside, like, Hunter Henry and Dawson Knox this season. So there's a path where he has a ceiling, and he's actually, like, pretty affordable. He's only really 4,600. So, you know, we saw him take back the tight end in one role, coming back from the concussion, running around at 78% of big men's dropbacks. Like, I was even kind of thinking about him. I know we always dumps or die for tight ends, but even, like, uh-huh. in cash, like, if you just, like, don't want to play a bad tight end, I think Friar move actually makes a lot of sense at 4,600 if you can move up and just pay down somewhere else. And then, I mean, Gronkowski, I just I think this is just a mega blow-up spot for him. You know, he's seen at least eight targets in every game since week 11, except for that one game in week 16. Again, going back to whenever there's like this weird outlier dud game, you know, you need to go back to those guys. You know, week 17, 10 targets led the team in routes run with 45. So I think that you need to pay up for Gronk in tournaments while I like Brady. Because also, contract incentives, hello, he gets <laughs> 500K for hitting... 55 receptions, 750 receiving yards, and 9 touchdowns. So currently, Gronk on the season has 48 catches, 665 receiving yards, and 6 touchdowns. I'm just saying, week 18 stat line of 85 receiving yards, 7 catches, and 3 touchdowns is something Gronk has already done in his career before, and it's not that far-fetched. So yeah, pay it for Gronk
0: not impossible and they also got to get Mike Evans 54 more receiving yards to make him the first and only man with at least a thousand receiving yards in each of his first eight years. Love all that contract incentive talk. Let's try to really round up all those that we can. I know Um, Anthony Amico on Twitter was doing some great work that Dwayne referenced uh, at Amicosta. Uh, you can find he's done a lot of great work on that as well. So uh, as always, Andrew and I will be back here probably with Dwayne as well on the Friday afternoon pod going over all the injuries and stuff. And we'll try to you know compile some of that stuff for you because that really is a storyline that we see, man. Like last year with Antonio Brown, like just literally at the end of the game, feeding him those pop passes to help get him those contract incentives obviously not really, you know, those are better times for the AB uh, and Tampa Bay Buccaneers (laughs) there. Uh, Quickly, I'd just like to end uh, usually our tournament talk with some sub-3K defenses that have strong correlations with their running backs in reasonable enough matchups. You know, obviously, we always want to stack our quarterback with some of the pass catchers, but historically, one of the other really positively correlated stacks out there is pairing your running back with the defense. As we know, you don't necessarily win games by feeding your running back all these touches, but when you do start getting leads, that's when they get the touches. You're getting leads, your defense is creating plays, and all that goodness. So, uh Detroit... Defense against Packers backups, probably DeAndre Swift, someone that burnt everyone last week. He did play a 56% snap role. He said that's probably not going to change going to this week. We know who he is. He's someone that, you know, we need to get a bunch of targets with. And to see him out there over half the snaps, I know, six touches after Dan Campbell said they were going to cut him loose. It sucks. But because of that, I highly doubt anyone's going to be going back to Swift this week It's a winnable matchup, again, against a defense that should be playing more backups than not. Uh, I do think that makes a little bit of sense if you want to go cheap. The Browns' defense, we mentioned before, if you can get up to them in cash, I think they're more than viable against Brandon Allen and company. Nick Chubb as well, unless we start hearing some reports that he's maybe not going to be out there as much as usual. Both Dearness Johnson on COVID and Kareem Hunt still banged up. They might need him to be out there regardless. Bears defense and Dave Montgomery against the Vikings is certainly in play. Cardinals defense and Chase Edmonds against the Seahawks in play. Even if Cardinals comes back, like if James Conner comes back, that's going to hurt Edmonds as a cash game viable back. But don't be afraid to still go with him in tournaments. We know he's probably the preferred back against Seattle because of his pass catching ability. And hey, you know, it's one of these situations where, yeah, it's a lot better if we have run, one running back getting 25 combined carries and targets. But who's to say that someone like Edmonds isn't still capable of of returning value on 15-18 to 18 combined carries and touches. Also, Vikings defense with Dalvin Cook against the Bears, Sandy Dalton. And finally, Elijah Mitchell in the 49ers defense going up against Stafford, who, yeah, some weeks he looks great. In some weeks he's going to throw three interceptions. The guy leads the league in pick sixes for a reason. Don't be afraid to go to the well with Mitchell, again, who I think might just be the best tournament running back play of the week, period, with that Niners defense. Andrew, any additional defense notes?
1: No, I think that you you hit it all there. I think that just from like a tournament perspective, some of the defenses I was looking at, let me see, let me pull them up. I, I was looking at like, so the Saints defense, I thought was kind of interesting. You know, they're not projected to be really super popular, but... I mean, dude, I've seen so much of Matt Ryan this year just yeah. just lay eggs after egg. And Kyle Pitts is banged up. Like, who's he, Like, all he has is Russell Gage, man. Like, how they're going to move the ball. <laughs> they don't use Cordero Patterson anymore. He's in a 50 50 time. He's like, you know, Mike Davis' is a sidekick
0: now. It's so <laughs> it's ridiculous. A, it's, a, man. it's
1: a disaster what they're doing. Um, so, yeah, I think the Saints defense, um, in kind of in that 3K range, is interesting in tournaments.
0: Yeah, uh, Patrick Daughtery has been doing great stuff over at Roto-World, NBC Sports Edge, whatever you want to call them over the years, at Roto-Pat. Hilarious tweet from a couple days ago where he said, Matt Ryan is Ben Rosberger without the laugh track, which I think uh, really sums it up nicely. <laughs> Pat's always got a great way with words. All right, Andrew, stack of the week.
1: Yeah, I'm just going back to uh, my guy over over there. Yeah, Tom Brady. Double stack, Gronkowski, Mike Evans. Hopefully Mike Evans plays. I know that he's kind of banged up. But, hey, we need to get these contract ascended. Even Tom Brady. He can break the record for most completions with 16, which is actually his average this year. So, yeah, Tom Brady, double stacks.
0: I'm going to go to the Cardinal seahawks game that gave us one of the most fun shootouts of the 2020 season, maybe giving us a poor man's version of that. Give me Kyler, Christian Kirk, Zach Ertz, and we'll bring it back with Tyler Lockett going to get those incentives for the squad, like both of those. Now, Andrew, it's a... Sad day over here. I think this is maybe your first 0-2 week. Maybe, maybe the second, but you've had a great year overall. And this one was just really depressing. Marvin Jones, <laughs> you said under 45 and a half receiving yards. He finished with two catches, but 46 total yards. So lost that one by a half yard. And then, you know, Josh Allen couldn't quite get over two fifty-five due to some weather conditions and him just not really putting his best foot forward. But that's what week 18's for. What do you got for the people this time around?
1: Yeah, you know, sometimes the weather, this is sometimes what happens when you bet early on games. You know, sometimes you get an edge. Like a couple weeks ago when the when the Bills played, the Patriots had all unders and you know, Mac Jones threw for, what, 10 yards? And, and that was great. Yeah. But sometimes <laughs> when, you bet, when you bet overs and weather doesn't work in your favor, you, you get burned. So, yes, unfortunately, we went 0 2. But we're looking to bounce back. So, yeah, I'm going right back to the Bills and I'm going right back to Stephon Diggs. Uh, over 65 and a half receiving yards. I just look at what Diggs did last week, and I mean, him and Josh Allen left so many points on the table. You, know, He had four end zone targets, didn't catch any for a touchdown, and we have Diggs with some more contract incentives. You know, he's six catches away from 100, which is going to net him a lump sum of cash. So I think that they're going to definitely force him the ball a little bit with the receptions. If he gets six receptions, he's hit. Every time he's had six receptions, he's gone over 65 and a half receiving yards this season. So, you're looking at the Jets. Last in yards per target allowed to wide receivers this year. So, yeah, Dave's been over 100 yards the last time he played the Jets. The weather is not nearly as bad as it was last week. I've been checking repeatedly to make sure <laughs> that I'm not going to get killed because, yeah, things go astray in Buffalo. Um, that's part of the reason why Josh Allen is their quarterback because he's one of the few that can actually overcome it because of his arm talent. But, Regardless, I do think that Diggs hits the over 65.5 receiving yards. And then this one's for Saturday night. So we have some games playing on Saturday. Is Ezekiel Elliott under 44.5 rushing yards? You know, every time I think about Ezekiel Elliott, I'm just like, here he is, poster boy for the RB dead zone in 2022. It's going to be so sad, but that's that's the reality with Zeke. And look, so he's cleared 45.5 rushing yards just three times in in his last five games, but only on two of those occasions it's been by one yard so he's hit 45 yards in two of those times he's really only surpassed it by a good margin once in his last five games he's averaged nine carries in his last two games putting up totals of 37 rushing yards and 16 rushing yards and i know that mike mccarthy is saying oh yeah dallas we're gonna play our starters and i know the eagles have been pretty non-committal about it but i mean if the eagles are gonna like trot out Gardner Minshew out there and the and the cowboys have a lead like they're not gonna play Zeke. Like, what's the point of him being out there? So I'm just really keen on just betting unders a lot in this game in general. I just don't know how much offense we're gonna see, especially if two teams that really have nothing to play for. And they I don't know why the NFL put this game on prime time thinking that, yeah, these teams are gonna go all out. And it's like, I don't think that they are. And you know, Ezekiel Elliott in particular is one guy that if anyone could use a week off, like Dude, like, t- give him a week off. So I'm going to go under 45 and a half rushing yards, which he may not even get if he even plays the full game. Like, that's the other thing, too, that he has not shown that he can hit that number consistently so far, at least in this past half of the season. So I'm going to take the under on Zeke, 45 and a half rushing yards.
0: Dude, he has one game with more than 15 carries since, like, week eight. He, We had the reports coming last week. Oh, Zeke's finally feeling better. Really? Because I didn't sure <laughs> see that. Like, that's what the nine carries for 16 yards against Arizona got us. I mean, there really was a time earlier in the year, like, all right, we had the Buccaneers dud in week one. Everyone freaked out. For the next month, like, Zeke legitimately looked, I thought, better than he had in several years. But then, again, man, that was like back in late September, early October. It's been months since we've seen him show any amount of explosion. And similar to kind of what we were talking about in Green Bay, you know, with Jones and Dylan and stuff. I don't even know if this means we should be going with Pollard because what I think could happen is Zeke and Pollard are used... Moderately sparingly, and then we end up seeing Corey Clement come in and actually get the bulk of touches if the game gets out of hand, or if the Cowboys just decide because let's face it, they don't have that much to play for. They can't get the one seed. They need uh, Rams and Tampa Bay losses for them to climb as high as a number two. They don't know those outcomes. So maybe they do push their uh you know foot on the gas. But to your point, Andrew, like Zeke could go out there, play 60 minutes, and still come away with that under. So like that call. Zeke under 44 and a half rushing yards. Stefan Diggs over 65 and a half receiving yards. And another good note there. Six catches away from 100 getting that incentive. What was his uh, Is his reception prop? Probably six and a half. They're going to do that to us.
1: That's what it probably is. I mean, it's it's wild because I think that DraftKings opened the Cooper Cup line at 134 <laughs> receiving yards, which oh, is exactly man. what he needs. And, and I, But if you go on prize picks, if you go on underdog, you know the lines are not at 134 like it's lower i you know i think price six was at 100 it's in bed up to 120 but i was able to get an underdog at like 108 and was like whatever i'm just going over like it's like i feel like they're gonna try to get him the ball so i got a better number than at some books we're just at 134 which i mean is just you know if that was just like a normal line is like absolutely ludicrous that it would open <laughs> so high but i mean jonathan taylor his rushing prop is at like 115 yards like just like across most places i've seen just because it's the jags and i mean is he gonna get 2000 like oh man that would, that would be so sick
0: i think they're gonna try man like <laughs> to your point if they just quit in the second half like i i've seen uh, i've seen weird things happen everyone <laughs> make sure you go check out andrew's work on pff.com Dude is grinding. Got our week 18 fantasy football dynasty pickups and some DFS targets. Fantasy football buy low and sell high based on high value opportunities. Some player props, fantasy football, start them, sit them, fantasy rankings. And as always, your DFS cheat sheet will be out there when everyone hears this podcast. Anything else you want to get off your chest, Mr. Erickson?
1: Yeah, so there's just a new player props article that I have been working on that I'll be releasing You know, this week. And up until the Super Bowl, so just taking away some of the early lines I like. I'm going to try to update it later in the week as well, just kind of fill it in with anything that I see. I mean, whenever time I see a line pop out, Jalen Rager, you know, just under. Like, it's just like automatic is all you do, under Jalen Rager. Things like that, where it's really easy to kind of identify, you know, really easy lines. that I want to have an article that's kind of catered to that. Because, you know, fantasy is obviously not at the forefront, so we're trying to get these player prop information out to everybody
0: great stuff as always my man I have written not that many articles this week but a few nonetheless got my fantasy football awards which Dwayne and I talked about on the podcast and also my top 10 NFL offseason storylines I think could help define the 2022 season will Cam Akers get his job back will Melvin Gordon still be on the Broncos are the Bills going older younger receiver the Cowboys don't look now but CeeDee Lamb could feasibly be the only guy that even has a snap this year at wide receiver still on the squad by July second year quarterback bumps all for free at pff.com so check out all those things before you know what I hope is a good week 18 so hope you guys have enjoyed these pods all year long we'll be back throughout the playoffs Uh, still gonna aim for at least three per week I will also have the injury pod to wrap up week 18 uh, with the DFS pod Andrew and I will keep doing this I think we might drag Dwayne on here as well and make it a little bit more of like a half DFS pod half mismatch type stuff because as great as it is breaking down the whole main slate I'm not sure that uh you know we can't do that and install some time for some other stuff once we're down to about eight teams playing per week so we'll see stay tuned i appreciate you guys listening as always though for andrew i'm ian thanks again until next time take care everybody